Today is November 14th, 2018. It's a little bit after lunchtime uh, over here on the East Coast. And you have checked into the 19th episode of the fourth season of Burgundy Blogcast. My name is Brent. It's the middle of the week, and I happen to find myself with a little bit of unexpected free time. So here comes a bonus episode of the Blogcast to rehash a few things that I have noticed and considered over the course of my usual reading and re-watching. For more information about last Sunday's game and also the upcoming one next Sunday when the Houston Texans come to town in week 11. Burgundy Blogcast is part of the Blue Wire Sports Podcast Network, which you can find on bluewirepods.com. And this episode is brought to you by the online sports betting website, mybookie.ag. Welcome back to the Blogcast. Every once in a while in the middle of the week, I find myself with 30 or 60 extra minutes on hand. And if by that time I have drawn a few additional conclusions about last week's game or developed some feelings about the upcoming one, I sometimes can afford the luxury of a second podcast. So here you have it. Hopefully this 2018 Redskins season will remain so interesting as to prompt several more of these over the next month and a half or more. Sometimes in the course of a season, a story comes up around a team that if you are a journalist or a writer or blogger or podcaster or whatever for that team, you almost kind of have to address even if you don't want to just because it's the only thing anyone's really talking about for a given week or two. And I feel that that applies right now to this topic surrounding Josh Norman's and then eventually DJ Swearinger's comments following the big road win at Tampa regarding Redskins fans and basically how much they suck at FedEx Field. I'm sure you've already read all of the quotes by now and heard numerous other takes on this. And again, I'm being upfront that I'm not bringing up this topic because I think it's cool or fascinating, but rather, I guess, just because I feel somewhat compelled to record an official position. So how's that for a super exciting teaser? Anyway, my basic feeling about Norman's comments and the overall weakness of the supposed home field advantage for the Redskins at FedEx is that he's probably pretty much correct that the atmosphere is not especially conducive to the players playing anywhere above themselves, or for that matter, to the fans really maximizing their time and expense. In fact, I decided a long time ago that going to a Redskins game, no matter how interested I remain in the team, or even how enthusiastic I am about their success was just flat out not worth it. So you might be surprised to learn that as closely as I have paid attention over these last eight years since Burgundy Blog was created, I have literally not attended a Redskins game in that span. Now I'm 38 years old and I became a fan when I was 11, and I was lucky enough to have tickets in the family for a few years before the Redskins left RFK, and then for quite a while after they moved to FedEx. And I did have the good fortune of attending, well, usually, or sometimes good fortune, of attending Redskins games at both venues. Some of them, including the famous seat cushion game during that magical playoff run at uh, at RFK, were literally some of my all-time greatest memories of childhood. Others uh, stick out in my mind as totally regrettable endeavors and negative memories that I literally wish I could expunge. But somewhere around my mid-20s, I started to realize that going to a Redskins game just was not a good bet. The inconvenience of commuting and parking was guaranteed, the outrageous expense of parking and attending and eating and drinking was guaranteed. And the quality of the on-field product was not only not guaranteed, but in fact highly likely 
to underwhelm and dissatisfy. So that epiphany, coupled with gradual and tremendous improvements in the home viewing experience, led me to what I think is a fairly logical conclusion, that watching from home is just better, and I still feel that way. Therefore, in some ways, I'm actually kind of impressed at the Redskins fans who do attend, and especially those who attend regularly. And for that matter, I certainly think that those fans, those patient, forgiving, continually paying fans, have absolutely every single damn prerogative to cheer or boo or ignore or take selfies or chill in the concourse or arrive late from the tailgate or leave early for the postgame. Any and everything they want to do, basically, within the confines of acceptable social behavior is, in my opinion, defensible and allowable for fans who still attend Redskins games. And bringing this back to why exactly I don't even think the topic deserves much attention, it seems to me that this concept should just be plainly obvious to basically all parties involved. I think it would be ridiculous for ownership or management to feign surprise that I might have this feeling and opinion and that thousands of others may share it. I'm certain the vast majority of our fan base can relate to it, and it seems crazy that the players would be confused by it, even those who are relative newcomers. Because come on, every single one of them, whether they arrived here by a draft or free agency or trade or whatever, they all know the drill. They all know the score. They know about the Super Bowls, but they know about how far in the rearview mirror they are. And they know what's been going on here for the last 25 years. Josh Norman and DJ Swearinger included. These guys aren't dumb. Now, they're passionate, and during and immediately after games, they're, they're probably kind of hyped up and emotional about it. And of course, I don't blame them one bit for wanting to see fans in the stands, cheering them, supporting them, encouraging them. Of course, they should want that. But for them to complain about how much we supposedly do or don't support them during games, on Sundays, actual real Sundays in our lives, Sunday afternoons where we could be anywhere else, with anyone else, with our spouses, family, kids, friends, vacationing, skiing, beaching, these players should be grateful that there are any fans in those stands. Ever. Without the fans, this sport makes no money and they have no livelihood. Perhaps I'm overdoing it a little bit here at the end. But really, my main feeling on this topic isn't really that Josh and DJ were right or wrong, or that we as fans should be either supportive or indignant regarding these comments. It's just that we all already know intuitively what's happening here. Josh Norman can't actually be surprised, and we as fans needn't actually take any official position. Being a fan of a team isn't compulsory. It's optional. It's fully voluntary. It's supposed to be fun. And this team has been run by some individuals over the last couple of decades who have attached fairly low priority to our fun. What's happening now is a natural, expected, inevitable outcome from that erosion. So if we want to be moody about it or even start to get a little apathetic or become noncommittal, that's fine. That's all right. I think it's almost our duty. There's no law that says being a fan has to be about being tough or masochistic. It's supposed to be about having fun, being thrilled, understanding and enjoying what we're watching, appreciating its uniqueness and excitement, and we can do it however the hell we want, Josh. I'd like to give another minute or two of love to Tress Way, the Redskins punter. In my opinion, he's absolutely been one of the most important players on the team this year, and I say that without the slightest trace of sarcasm. The Redskins have won two-thirds of their games despite being a very low-scoring outfit. I think they're 25th or 26th in the league in total scoring. Those two facts are incongruous, but what accounts for them is the turnover differential of plus 11, which I elaborated on in my last pod, and Tressway's insanely good punting, which has been integral in winning the field position battle routinely. He put four more punts inside the 20 last week. As far as I know, he still hasn't kicked a single touchback, and in spite of regularly punting from essentially midfield after stalled Redskins drives. He still has an average 
punting distance in like I think the top quartile, which is crazy because those those punts from midfield through no fault of his own, should be dragging his average down. Tressway is an interesting player because when he signed first with the Redskins, he was like pretty awesome right off the bat. And then he had kind of like a little lull for a year plus where he was just kind of okay. But he has been truly unbelievably elite this year. And I'm not sure that there is widespread understanding and appreciation for punting statistics to the extent that it's generating appropriate fan recognition, at least outside the DMV. Even above and beyond whatever the punting stats are, just watching the games should show you that he's been unbelievable. I mean, he's been doing almost every single thing he's wanted to do. I, I, I can scarcely recall a punt that wasn't almost perfect in terms of accomplishing his goal, whether it just be booting for distance or pinning the opponent deep. Pro Football Focus tweeted out one of their usual things earlier today with like a top five list of the best, highest graded, or best evaluated punters for the season, and he's not on the top five list. Now, I confess, I haven't obviously been watching the weekly performances of whichever five random dudes are at the top of that list, but it is, I mean, it boggles my mind that he wouldn't be in the top five. I'm incredibly skeptical that he hasn't been literally the best punter in the NFL this year, because every time he's been called on, he's done exactly what he's supposed to do. So how exactly could you get any better than that? He's been amazing and he should be an all pro. I'm not an expert on offensive line play. It's a complicated and intricate thing and I think it's really hard to evaluate, even with the benefit of careful and detailed film review, but especially when watching live on a TV broadcast. That said, it certainly seemed to me that the Redskins' new fill-in left guard, Jonathan Cooper, held his own pretty well last week um, outside of the two holding penalties that he had, which did both bring back, unfortunately, pretty decent gains. I gave him a little bit of shine on my post-game pod, suggesting that he might actually be as good as Laveo going forward, and I still feel that way. But having gone back to watch uh, a few parts of the game and listened to a lot of evaluators who have watched the plays individually even more closely, it sure seems like Cooper really, really acquitted himself very well in that game. Chris Cooley in particular on his podcast was effusive in his praise for what Cooper did coming in off the street, having been a Redskin for only a few days. I mean, he went on and on about a long list of attributes worthy of praise, including his physical skills and his technique, in particular his ability to pass off or pick up stunts which the interior of that Redskins offensive line really has struggled with all year. Cooper's had a weird career. He's he's pretty much a textbook bust, actually, because he was the seventh overall pick, and since then he's been on like six or maybe even seven teams. But he's not old. He's only 28, and really injury has been a, the, the main story in his career. He had like a really bad leg injury as a rookie, which ruined the year and threatened his career. And he had a different, separate, but also severe injury the following year. Then I think he was traded to the Patriots and had yet another lower body injury there and was never able to catch on. And since then, he's really bounced around because, well, he just hasn't been able to get traction. He played for the Browns, who actually had a really good offensive line during that period, even though the team was terrible. And then he played for the Cowboys, who have a very good and deep offensive line, obviously. He was in camp this year with the 49ers, and I, I, I've heard that they cut him also because he was really banged up going into the regular season. So I think with Cooper, it's all about health. And I don't want to get, I don't think we should get too far ahead of ourselves in thinking that he's like this magical fill-in who's going to turn into a long-term starter and stalwart because he has to prove that he can even string together a few healthy games. But he looked good next to Inseki, and there's a chance that after a few more weeks in the playbook, when he's next to Trent, he might look really good. If, again, if, huge if, he can stay healthy. So I'm not trying to get ahead of myself on this, but this is a big deal um, for a team that lost both of its starting guards in the same game. Now on the other side, stepping down from Sheriff to Bergstrom is an enormous downgrade. 
So, I mean, I guess he can't have everything, but if Cooper can keep it together, that left side of the line might might actually be a strength again as the team comes into the home stretch of the season. Sure, watching football is fun, but many would argue that it's more entertaining when you have some action on the games. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at MyBookie. If you're the sort that likes to bet a little but win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay. Pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you could turn $100 into $600. There's so much to bet on. College basketball, college football, NBA, NHL, custom props, even esports, you name it. MyBookie is the one bet I know you'll be happy with all year. I recommend MyBookie because they have been in business for years, they've got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. Sign up this week and MyBookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll. Also make sure to follow at BetMyBookie on Twitter. They personally respond to every mention and DM, not to mention that they've given away more than $10,000 in free money to their followers this football season. You'll be the first to know as soon as new odds and props are posted. Log on to MyBookie right now and use promo code BLUEWIRE, that's one word, BLUEWIRE, get 50% deposit bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. I think as I express a little enthusiasm about Jonathan Cooper, it's extremely important that we acknowledge what an amazing job Bill Callahan has done with the offensive line all season really and especially last week. He started with talent there, but injuries have obviously taken their toll. And last week he went on the road with a starting five that included only two week one starters at their actual positions. Then he had to prepare a guy in Bergstrom who's really best suited to play center to play right guard. He had to prepare Inseki, a natural tackle, but a lifelong backup tackle to start. And then, of course, he had to get Cooper up to speed in less than a week. And damned if that line didn't make plenty of holes for Adrian Peterson. And even more importantly, even though they allowed three sacks, generally kept Alex Smith pretty free and clean all day. In fact, I think at least one, probably two of those sacks really were not primarily on the line, but more so on the quarterback. Callahan's reputation is sterling. So this isn't exactly the kind of under the radar thing that you really need me to bring to your attention. But this is an example in the middle of the season where the team is truly benefiting from having a highly qualified member of the staff doing exactly what he was born to do, which is to coach big fat offensive linemen. Callahan has been a head coach before, of course, with the Raiders and also at Nebraska. But Jay Gruden is very, very fortunate to have him not only as a coach, but as a position coach slash assistant head coach, which I have to assume is a particularly lucrative part of his current title. Here's a note that you might not like so much. It kind of dawned on me during the game, but I think it was confirmed in a little bit of rewatching the game. Adrian Peterson didn't look quite so spectacular in week 10. In fact, there might be a little cause for concern in terms of what he's going to have left in the tank for the remainder of the season. Now, I obviously have no idea whether this is truly like his age actually catching up with him, as was generally sort of the fear when they signed him, or if it's more like mounting injuries because he has had both upper and lower body injuries, including a knee and a shoulder. And I suspect that those are still nagging a little and encumbering him to some degree. Or maybe he just kind of had an off day, which is certainly possible, and that his actual performance will look a little better, you know, moving forward. His stats were fine, nothing to write home about. I think his yards per carry was in the mid threes. And he did have 50 yards rushing in the second half, which was incredibly important for them controlling the clock and eventually winning the game. So it wasn't like he's fallen apart, obviously, all right? But if you go back and look at 
a couple of his longer runs and a couple times when he was trying to sort of bounce runs outside. He definitely seems to still have the vision, of course. It's not like that's going to go away over the course of a couple weeks. And he definitely seems to still have the power. And I think he's got the same lateral agility and, and pretty good burst that we were seeing in September. But the speed and just kind of like overall some of the elusiveness was not really on display against Tampa. There was one play in particular where he really should have beat the safety for a big gain, and he just totally didn't, and he didn't even really make it much of a challenge. So, yeah, I mean, that's my thing on AP. I'm a little concerned. I'm. It's not a pattern yet, but there are a couple logical reasons for him to be potentially, even if only incrementally, slowing down over these next few games. They're still feeding him a lot of carries. He had 19 carries, and they use him in the pass game too. I just basically think the offensive coaches need to really look carefully at him on tape and talk to him about how he's feeling and decide if maybe scaling it back a little bit, even if the game script dictates that they run. I mean, it's not going to kill you necessarily to run P. Ryan a few times or to give Bibbs a little bit more action because I think he's actually earned it. He's not Chris Thompson, but he's making positive things happen almost every time he touches the ball. And his best play last week got called back for a hold. So yeah, if it was me, I think maybe I would consider dialing back AP just a little bit. He's still a huge part of the offense, such that there is any offense on this team. But he should be a big, big factor in short yardage and goal line. And I'm not at all suggesting that he shouldn't even still be really the bell cow. But I really don't know if you're going to be able to keep banging him 20 times. Because I think we're starting to be able to see it a little bit. I want to add a few things to what I said a few days ago about Josh Doxson. He's a pretty polarizing player. A lot of fans, perhaps a majority of Redskins fans have kind of given up on him or written him off into bust territory. Others have been patient and willing to forgive his slow development because of that lost rookie season. I think I've been somewhere in the middle, or maybe more accurately, I've been both. And I think it's just because his performance is very erratic and it's hard to get a bead on who he is even right now or what he's going to become. I don't think you could make a strong case that he has justified his draft status. But I think a case is growing that he's not a lost cause. And the biggest thing I've noticed is that over the last three games, his catch rate is 80%, 12 out of 15 targets. That's a small sample size, but it represents an enormous improvement over his career catch rate, which is actually still below 50%. He did have two horrendous drops in a short span against Atlanta. But he bounced back from those in that game and then with a a solid game last week. And he's now scored touchdowns in consecutive games. It's a small sample, but it's the most recent sample. And it comes at a time where we're really like looking, kind of dying, in fact, for Alex Smith to find some chemistry with any pass catcher. Because Crowder is out. Reed is still kind of underperforming or underutilized. Mo Harris is catching a lot of balls, but he's, he's not the most dynamic player. Anyway, I think it's relevant that he's kind of stringing together a few nice games here, some legitimate contributions uh, to wins, no less, at the same time when Alex Smith is starting, I think, to finally play a little bit better. So, no, I'm not exactly putting him in the ring of honor yet, but I think it's actually pretty obvious now that he's gaining some trust from his quarterback. I think he's gaining some trust from his head coach because he's really just kind of been like on his grind all year. He's gotten better at blocking. He's gotten a little bit better at route running. He's not suddenly faster and like separating so much better. But I think the whole do your job thing, he seems to have kind of taken it seriously. And that's just going to continue to buy him more opportunities. So if he has even one big game here, six catches for 115 and two, I think Josh Jackson has the talent to like parlay that into some good momentum and, and really, you know, finish strong. That touchdown catch in Tampa should not be overlooked. I mean, it was the most important play of the game, and it was a really, really nice play by him on a third down where he extended and figured out how to get open, and then he he made a tough leaping grab and held on. 
He's made good flash plays before here and there, but I don't think it's crazy to think that that specific play could boost him up into being that next level playmaker. As I record this, the Redskins have not announced any transactions for today. But if I'm not mistaken, after they put Dron Christian on IR, and then after they also waived Joshua Holsey right after activating him from the non-football injury list, I'm pretty sure they have at least one open active roster spot. And my guess is that it's going to go to Trey Quinn here pretty soon. He's kind of a forgotten man over the last two months because he was on IR, but I bet you can recall all the buzz surrounding him in August. Who the heck really knows what he is? I mean, obviously, he's not actually played yet in an act, in an actual NFL regular season game. It's not like I can just assume that he's the cure for whatever's ailing Alex Smith and the Redskins offense, but he was looking good in camp. He was looking good in preseason until he got hurt. He has a lifetime of incredibly high production on his resume, and he might be stepping into the lineup at a time when there's really not a natural slot guy who's also healthy right now. I mean, specifically with Crowder out. Now, Harris has been playing slot and catching a lot of balls, but I'm not sure they absolutely love him there. And if Trey Quinn is is healthy and can show up with his fresh legs and show good hands, and find some soft spots in zone defenses, which is what he's been doing his whole adult life, there's certainly at least a chance that that could boost the Redskins' passing attack at least as much as you might have expected or hoped for from sort of like a mid-level acquisition by trade prior to the deadline. Crowder's injury situation is a little weird. He's kind of been like off and on with practice. Jay alluded to him getting another MRI. I'm not at all confident that he's back for week 11. And if Quinn does indeed get that roster spot, and if he's active and plays, I'll be super interested to see if he and Alex Smith can click. I mean, he does not add the downfield threat that is clearly missing since Richardson Richardson's injury, but I don't really know how important that is. I mean, Alex prefers to go short anyway, so like, let's give him another guy who can run sharp routes, short to intermediate, and hang on to the thing. I, I don't know. I, I like it. I have an open mind about that. One quick little thing here about Casanova McKenzie. This is the guy that got activated. He's an outside linebacker slash edge rusher kind of guy who Jay chose to make active over Pernell McPhee, mainly because he needed another guy who could play specials. He went to Auburn. He's 25. He came into the league with the Bucks in 2016 as an undrafted free agent, but ended up not really being in the league that year. Then he was on the Rams practice squad for a few weeks last year, and then the Redskins signed him to a reserve future contract on New Year's Day this year. He's pretty much a total unknown and not particularly heralded, but man, he showed some nice speed around the edge in a couple of rushes uh, in Tampa. And not that Cooley's word is always gospel, but he also noticed that McKenzie played a nice game and said, in fact, in one of his podcasts this week that he thinks McKenzie doesn't like is not a realistic practice squad candidate going forward because somebody else would sign him just based on what he did uh, in week 10. I don't know, maybe that's a little much, but clearly the Redskins are still craving a true speed edge rusher, an edge bender, a guy that can run the arc and get low around the tackle. I mean, that's not Preston Smith's game. It's not really Ryan Kerrigan's game, even though he's extremely productive as a pass rusher. The Redskins haven't had a player like that since Gallette, and Gallette they really only had, of course, for kind of like spurts. I am totally not even close to projecting that Casanova McKenzie can have an effect like Junior Gallette did in his prime, but it's an interesting sort of role that he may be able to fill that they don't have anyone else to fill. So keep an eye also on whether he's active again and if he plays, and if he does play and if he gets a sack, 
This is another guy that nobody really knew about even a few weeks ago who could potentially have a role on the team as it tries to make the playoffs. So the Redskins have Houston coming up. Um, I, I'm not going to pretend like I've been watching a ton of the Texans this year. Honestly, I've not. I've seen bits and pieces of several games. I've done a little bit of reading about them and what they've done right over the six-game winning streak. They are definitely hot. Deshaun Watson seems to be getting back into form after starting slow, coming off injury. I think losing Will Fuller as their field stretcher was kind of a big deal, but then they went out and traded for Demarius Thomas. So the, so the Titans have two really nice outside boundary type receivers in DeAndre Hopkins, who's one of the best in the game, and now Demarius Thomas as well. Josh Norman's going to have to have a really big game. And then one of the two young guys, Stroman or Danny Johnson, I'm thinking more like more likely Stroman because it seems like he's kind of reasserted himself ahead of Johnson on the depth chart now based on snap counts from last game. He's going to have to step up. And then, of course, Moreau will be getting a lot of action too, presumably a lot of it in the slot. The Redskins showed last week that they could beat a team with a really good passing offense, which was a question or a doubt that many of us had. But they beat them, of course, in a very weird way. They kept them out of the end zone, which is tremendous, but they gave up like 400 passing yards. It seems very likely to me that Minuski is going to aim for this bend but not break sort of strategy again because you're you're just not going to be able to keep those wideouts from getting theirs. But if they can, again, tighten up in the red area and produce a few well-timed takeaways, I wouldn't say that Deshaun Watson is the sort of passer that they're just like definitely doomed to get mowed down by. It seems pretty reasonable to me to hope and expect that the Redskins could limit that Texans offense to like low 20s, you know, which is what they've been doing to teams all year. So the question then will be whether this offense can generate that much. And I will say that as excited as we are that this makeshift offensive line held up so well against Tampa, they're about to get a totally bitching test in the Texans front seven, which of course includes J.J. Watt, Jadavian Clowney, and also Whitney Mercillus. Don't sleep on him, an excellent pass rusher in his own right. This is a major, major handful, especially for the interior of the line, which is now Jonathan Cooper, still brand new, Chase Roulier, and Tony Bergstrom. Honestly, I don't like that matchup. I don't really feel like that's going to go great. So Jay Gruden is going to need to adjust and limit the deep seven-step drops for Alex Smith. There's going to be need to be more quick game passing. He's going to need to move the pocket more. And I think he can. I mean, I, I think that, you know, I think that that could work. It feels like, surprise, surprise, that this this will be another close game. I mean, that's not exactly the boldest prediction. That's pretty much what the Redskins do. They either play close games or occasionally they get blown out. I don't feel a blowout coming. I feel a close game coming. And here's one other little thing for you. This is like totally not academic, and I'm not even really sure why I have just this gut feeling. But I'm seeing in these last couple of weeks, Alex Smith starting to get a little bit more command of the offense. I know, yes, that he missed that incredibly wide open easy bomb touchdown to Vernon Davis last week and I ripped him for it and it's still stuck in my craw and he has been anything but lights out but he's making two or three nice plays a game now and he he seems to just generally be in control I mean the Redskins really should have scored more than they did last week based on just sort of the overall feel of how they were able to move the ball. They seem more in control than the box score would indicate to me. So here's my prediction. I think Alex Smith is going to have a good game. I think this might be kind of like a little bit of a breakout game for Alex Smith. I'm not saying he's going to have a ton of stats. In fact, I, you know, I'm not saying he's even going to go over 300 yards because that's not really what he does. In fact, he's been under 200 pretty much all season. But I think he's going to hit 250 and throw two touchdowns. And I I just sort of have this feeling that he's going to have the kind of game where we're like, okay, wow, maybe he's like actually getting it now. Because it seems like it's on the verge of clicking to me. And I know at this point he's lost a lot of his weapons, but 
you know, that, you know, he's, he's making do like he's figuring out how to do this with the likes of Maurice Harris and maybe Trey Quinn pr- provides a little bit of a spark. And Doxson is potentially kind of coming into his own a little bit. I just think the timing's right. I know it seems weird. The Texans have a great defense, but I think they can do this. I think the Redskins are going to win. And I think it's not just going to be defense and Tressway. I think Alex Smith is going to have the kind of game where afterwards we're like, that's what they brought him here for. And if he plays like this, they can win a playoff game. And if he does that and they win, even if it's by a narrow margin, and they get to 7-3, and I think at the very least we're in for a pretty fun six weeks. <laughs>